Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrab podcast. So what are you up to this week, Mike? Hey, I'm doing all right, but tragedy did strike the other day. Mm. Did you happen to see my tweet? No, I, I didn't. I'm not on Twitter that much, so. Okay, okay. My hardcover copy arrived from Once Upon a Crime. Okay. And I got to say, they did a great job wrapping it. I opened the box, and then there's the book, and it's wrapped in a very nice, not wrapping paper per se, but like a like a very fine like newsletter-style printed paper. And I'm so excited. I'm tearing this thing open. And I had just finished telling Rosie about how I ordered the one that comes with a signed page of the original printed manuscript. Oh, you got that? Nice. Dude, I was so excited. I'm in the middle of telling her about it as I'm ripping open this package. And guess what? The manuscript page is not tucked into the book. It was underneath the wrapping, but outside of the book. I tore that thing right in half. Didn't even realize, crumpled it up, threw it in the trash. No. Yeah. Yeah, I did it. I did. I messed up. I messed up. Holy shit. <laughs> yep. Um, I feel so bad for you. I tore it right through Kyle's signature, like dead center. You can't even signature. like. Oh. I feel so bad. I'm sorry, bro. Hey, that's all right. What page that's was right. it? What page was it? Oh, what was my lucky number? Uh, I got it here. It's my new lucky number now. Or maybe unlucky number. <laughs> um, yeah, I took a picture. Remind me to text this to you. It's got the page ripped in half right there. It oh, was no. 145. 145. May you rest in peace. Well, you can still keep the two pieces, but. Yeah, that I can. Oh, and, and the hardcover book looks it- pretty baller. Nice. Mine's coming soon. Yeah. Uh, the good news is I got a copy for my dad as his birthday gift, and I warned him uh, when he opens it to be careful. So at least the okay. martini okay. crew has, okay. you know, there's yeah, one Let's intact. open those up with some, some felt gloves, and, you know, <laughs> we're, like, tucking underneath the tape to pull it out, you know, right. very, like, I, I think I have a cousin who does that at Christmas Yep. And we're just like, fucking rip it. Like, <laughs> she's trying to, like, save every Rapping single piece paper. of paper, uh, you know, all every single bow she wants. But. Oh, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, sorry, bro. That's yeah, No, all good. I, I learned my lesson, and I thought back to Treebeard and Lord of the Rings. Don't be hasty. One of my favorite quotes. So, <laughs> I, just don't be hasty. There it is. <laughs> Oh man, this is live on the pod. I didn't even know my instant reaction to to that that crushing defeat. It, yeah, it was. Yeah, I felt like Mitch in total power. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, now what's good with you though? What's going on? Uh, nothing, man. Um, so you, you know, you're the reason why I got this uni. Um, uh, so pizza time. Pizza time. Our uh, for our listeners out there who don't know what an uni is, it's a I don't know a bro pizza oven, um, hipster pizza oven. Uh, it's pretty sick though. Cooks your pizza in like sixty seconds. Nine hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Yes, gets super hot, super hot. So I un- finally I got it for my birthday, and it came in like actually it took a while to come. So it didn't. Yeah, they're they're back ordered. 
Carolyn ordered it for me in April. It came in July, but I just unboxed it for the first time because yeah, I didn't have, just didn't have to have time. Right. Um, and I'm doing this pizza party on Friday on Saturday. Nice. So I needed. I need, and you told me like you should practice. You gotta like, practice. <laughs> the thing takes technique. I'm practicing again on Friday. Like there you go. <laughs> you got this. You got this. Uh, so yeah, no, it was great. Even though you know had a little bit of burnt pizza. Caroline's like, is that a carcinogenic? I was like, mm, tasty carcinogens. <laughs> Let's ask a scientist. Any any I, microbiologist around? That, that's so that's I'm supposed to be able to answer that question, but uh, you know. Well, hold on. There's our connection to today. Burnt pizza with carcinogens can cause cancer. Hmm. (laughs) And today, we unfortunately are dealing with a dying Stan Hurley who just passed away in The Survivor, or Louis Gould, we should say, killed him. And um, that's what we're getting to today. Got to, man. Got to. uh, You know, these last couple books we had, uh, you know, I guess... Really starting in American Assassin, we really got to know this character a lot more. The backstory really fleshed him out. You know, doing like, you know, looking into some of these notes, I didn't even realize it was a while before we got Stan Hurley in this series. Right. You know, he doesn't even show up until Extreme Measures. And then, but he just feels like he's been there the whole time, you know? Right. Does, that, does that make sense? I guess like he fills the void after... Uh, Thomas Stansfield is no longer in the books because Thomas Stansfield is very early on. Right. And then obviously we get him in the prequels when he comes back. But yeah, what a man. What a guy. Right. And we just felt that, you know, after that, the going out, how we went out in The Survivor, uh, we had to do this tribute episode to him. So happy to talk to Stan with you today. And this is our third character analysis slash tribute is that right? Yeah, we we did one on uh, Thomas, and we did one on the uh, McReavers, the sealed demolition, demolition, and, and salvage guys, McReavers, and, and a couple other people. Yeah, yep, yep. Hack and Strobel. Well, you know what we did in both of those episodes? We cheersed our mates with a limerick, and I believe it's time to have a limerick to Stan Hurley. Not too proud of this one. I kind of did it last <laughs> minute. Stan, you, you deserve better than this, buddy. You really do. But you do. You that's do. All I got but, for you. you know, if anything, that you could just think of it, this is what Stan would have done. So there we go. He would have half-assed it and got the job done and moved on. All right. There once was a badass named Stan, killing terrorists. His lifelong plan: a bottle a day keeps the doctor away. Cheers, Hurley. You're the fucking man. Boom, baby. There it is. Keep it simple for, for my dude. Yeah, he likes it concise. Don't yeah. don't give him that uh that fluff plan. Now I got to get in, kill the terrorists, and get out. Get out, get out. Yeah. Now I got one other um tradition, if you will, because I think we did this for the Stansfields episode. We did. I've got a quiz show for you, Chris. All right, yeah, I have no idea what you're going to ask me. <laughs> and this one, this one's pretty tough. This one's pretty tough. Okay. Um, you ready for this? I was just preparing the notes, and I learned some stuff myself going through a lot of these facts. So let's kick it off with a basic one. You and I did talk about this last week. Where did Stan grow up? Mm. Oh, Bowling Green, Kentucky? 
Ding, 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 ding. Yes, yeah, we, we were. We I remember that only because we asked where did he get where, where was the funeral and where was the funeral? Up. Right. Yeah. Right. His family, it said early on, moved with. I think the five kids, I want to say, from the inner city of Chicago when they were young still because of the massive unemployment and the food lines. And they moved to Kentucky uh, to have some better work. And that was would all be during the Depression. So here's the next one. What branch of the military did Stan first enroll in? Oh, I feel like I should know this. Um, is he a Marine? I'm sorry. It was the Army. Uh, Army. I, I was. Uh, I wanted to say Army. Damn it. He was an Army. Yep. 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 He's an Army guy. Oh yeah. I'm remembering that scene of the flashback now, with um, what's his name, Victor, but the real guy, um, Chet Bramble. His Chet Chet Bramble. Yeah. And like, because Hurley comes in, right, and he knows the the other Army guys. He knows yeah. that Army like general. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Because he's and, a Delta boy. He's a he's a Delta boy, which is in the Army. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly, because that was Delta. There was a small detail about this. Which book was it with Fournier? Must have been Killshot. Killshot? Where that police detective, that French Fournier guy, he Mm -hmm. says, you should beware Stan. I served with him in the army and saw him slice a man's ear off in Vietnam. Uh, Ah. He knew he was pretty vicious. And an American assassin, they, they do his backstory, how he... Was in the army. Well, anyway, when he got out of the army, he took advantage of the GI Bill and actually graduated with, quote, surprisingly good grades from what college? Stan has a degree. University of Kentucky? (sighs) A little closer to home than that. Try again. It's our state or my state where you were born. University of Virginia? Virginia Tech. Pretty close. Virginia pretty close. Tech. Virginia okay. Tech. Yeah, that one's a little out of the blue. Interesting. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. It's just like a random... Yeah. Vince was just looking at the state like, Stan's <laughs> going to go there. <laughs> yeah, how do you That's make funny. that one up, right? <laughs> You've got 3,000 colleges to choose from. Right. Well, because I remember like Michael O'Rourke was from like... I, I'm pretty sure he went to the... like. A college in Minnesota. Minnesota. Like it was all, it was all like yeah. based on like you know because Vince is from you know right um, that that area right uh, and he was building out characters you know from that area so it made sense to like tag on. Right. I think where did Vince go to school? He went to like Saint um um to like it's a small in Saint Catholic Paul. school. Um, yeah. Oh boy, why can't I remember it? Saint Thomas. Saint Thomas. Yeah, it's where the uh, Vince yep. Flynn Memorial uh, and the museum, museum will be, be yeah. one day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, St. Thomas Academy. That's right. That's right. I mistakenly posted somewhere about, oh, Once Upon a Crime, this bookstore, I order for them from them because they're in Minneapolis, you know, where where Vince was from. And someone promptly, promptly corrected me. Oh, no, He's he was St. a St. Paul guy. Yeah. So I was fact-checked. So I, I guess it's really not Twin Cities. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think there's some uh, healthy rivalry there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got one one more question in the quiz show, and this one comes in the form of two truths and a lie. All right. 
Which one of these facts is the lie about Stan Hurley? Was Stan born on a kitchen table with no birth certificate? Did he appear in eight Mitch Rapp books? And he was friends with Neil Armstrong. I I feel like he was friends with Neil Armstrong. And the born on the kitchen table thing is just too weird to not be true. So I'm going to say eight Mitch Rapp books is the lie. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. By my count, he's only in six. Really? Let's see. Wow. He's, he first comes up in Extreme Measures, which we're going to get right. into. Right. Makes an appearance, of course, then in Pursuit of Honor when they're in the bunker right. at Lake Anna. Right. That goes right into American Assassin. Which leads into Kill Shot. That's so that's four. The last man, and he dies in the Survivor. Right. Yeah. No. Only six, six, not eight. Can you believe that? Only six? That's what, one third of the series? Yeah, it's twenty it's up to twenty novels now, so twenty yeah, twenty, twenty one soon. I mean uh, so obviously after he dies. So like what's the book he what Survivor is number what? In the series? Yeah. In publication order, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. The survivor would be 15. Okay, so he's in a little more than a third of, like, up until his death, he had had appeared in a third of the books. Oh, and let's think about Vince's books, right? So, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, out of how many that Vince wrote? 15, yeah. 14, 14 or 15? 14, 14, 14. Yeah, and that's including term limits, which is right, not a Right, that's term limits. Which, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so about a half, third to a half of, of Vince Flynn's books. He came around yeah, pretty that's, late. That's crazy to me. Like, just, you know, before we started recording, I was talking to you about that, how, I don't know, it's just, I felt like we've had this character since the very beginning, and obviously we haven't. I don't know, it just goes to show you how good this character is, that he, like, sits in my mind, that, you know, even when Mitch was, he wasn't talked about, I just envisioned, I sort of, like, placed him there. I had, like, fan fiction about, like, in Transfer of Power, maybe Mitch called Stan, you know, like, something like that. Yeah, I'm really, I would, that would be one question I would love to ask Vince. What's the inspiration for this character? Because, obviously, he wasn't there in in the very beginning, unlike a Stansfield, Irene. He was fleshed out over time, brought up into extreme measures where he's, you know, old. He's in the hospital. Like we first meet him where, when Mike Nash goes to meet him at Bethesda Naval, right? Right. Um, To get his head on straight. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, he starts talking to him about like, I think he says, he asks him like, is his dick okay? Yep. Yep. (laughs) He's like, you've been talking to Maggie. (laughs) He reads into it that that Nash is dealing with ED and some marital issues. Yep. Yep. And Hurley's flirting with the nurse. Naturally. Always. Always. So if, if that was the first time Vince put him in the universe and it wasn't even a Mitch Rapp book, essentially, it was Nash coming to see him first what was going on and how did Vince decide to take this old man mentor that Irene sends Nash to and decide to make him the rap, you know, 
mentor? Like, right. What was going on there? Well, I, I guess now that I think about it, right. So extreme measures by all, our accounts, you know, just, uh, I'm pretty sure like the, the research we've done, what you can find online and just reading the book, we know that this was originally not supposed to be potentially not supposed to be a full mid-trap novel. Right. Maybe uh, it's definitely focused on Mike Nash, uh, with a sprinkling of Mitch in there. Um, and maybe at this time, Vince is thinking of new characters. He obviously has, I want to say he always had American assassin in his mind, like what right. that story was. He said that so yeah. may, maybe he had had this idea of a mentor and then this was an idea to, all right, well, I'm already introducing all these new characters in this book, or I'm introducing some big players in this book of a Mike Nash. Um, let's bring them in. Yeah. So, cause you, you figure what it's two books later that American assassin comes. So, right. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, a fair way of reading it. Almost like extreme measures was a playground to kind of explore, branch out, try new things. And definitely with the intention of bridging those two universes, which just happens so fantastically. Well, the way Nash is brought in and the way Stan is brought back in extreme measures Forgetting a lot of stick from people for leading with Nash and, and you know, putting rap in the back seat, which I really don't think it actually does, but it gets that rap. It's a very important book. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the attack at the CTC is one of the best action scenes, if not the best action scene, in all of Vince Flynn's writing. Mike Nash is a beloved character. I, I would say by most, not all, but by most. Um, and Stan, his first appearance, it is maybe the most beloved character. And I actually have a hot take, or I had a hot take, back in one of the earlier episodes. I want to see if I still agree with it, because I'm not sure. And I want to see if you still agree with it. I had said that I think, while Mitch is obviously Vince's best character... And Irene, very possibly a close second or even tied with Mitch, some might argue. I think Stan is the best dialogue and the best one-liners and writing in terms mm -hmm. of Vince writing for a character and putting words in a character's mouth. I think Stan's dialogue is written the best of any character. You're saying outside of Mitch and Irene, right? No, no, no. I, I think or Mitch and Irene even above that, even are above better that. characters. Mm. I think the the first person dialogue, the words that actually come out of Hurley's mouth, are better written than any other dialogue for any character. Yeah, I, I probably have to agree with that because everything that he says is of a piece. You know, it's like he, he you know, you're exactly right. Nothing that he says is not true to who he is. Exactly. Um, and he's just, ri he's written so well. Yes. Because you can argue that like something that Mike says, or something that Scott says, something that Marcus says, right. another person could easily say it. Right. Uh, you know, to you know a reason, obviously, like, but to get the gist across, you know. But yeah, what Stan says and how he says it and, you know, like some of the, I don't want to say mannerisms because it's a written word, but like, uh, <laughs> you know, how he, his different 
how Vince wrote the, you know, I, I don't know the literary term, but how he says things mm-hmm. and the you know, how he gets maybe. his, yeah, exactly. Like how he gets like the point across. Mm-hmm. Cause you can almost feel him. I always envision him the way that George Waddell reads him as this like rumbly voice. Oh yeah. Southern accent, like a, like a little bit of a Southern accent. It's like, it's like a right. Kentucky accent. So it's not like the deep South. We're not talking Mississippi, um, you know, Mississippi, Alabama like that, but you know, it's, 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 it's a got Southern a twang. accent. Yeah. And it's just a guy that like, will down a beer, grab you by the nuts and punch you in the face. Right. <laughs> He's done plenty of nut grabbing. Don't forget, he'll chomp your ear off. <laughs> he'll chop your ear off. Yeah. Or chop your car- chomp your carotid out, yeah. you know? Although that Vietnam story made me think, that is the second. There are at least two ear attacks by Stan Hurley. He's a biter, man. He's a, He bites. Yeah, three bites. At least two bites. At least two chomping or slicing ears. He'd get along with Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'd like I, to see that fight. <laughs> I would, like I would pay that for that. That's a pay per view event. I'd like that over the any Jake Paul fight. <laughs> you know, one I will have to say this here, just talking about thinking of like what I see when I when I read the Stan Hurley. That is probably the best thing that the book the movie got right is the casting of Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton as, right. as Stan Hurley. Yep, and like. Obviously, he didn't do the southern accent, but like, you know, just that gravelly voice, the his attitude. This even the scene where he bites, you know, the dude's ear off. Yep. I don't know. I just that was Stan. That that Stan and Michael Keaton in that uh, American Assassin movie is the best part of that movie. A hundred percent. It's not only the best part of the movie; it's the most redeemable part in the movie. In that. They stayed true to Vince's vision. Right. Exactly. They actually gave a shit. Yeah. yeah. So they, they both got it good, got the part right. He acted well or, you know, it was a good performance. But it was also one of the few parts of the movie that respected Vince's craft. Yep. So yep. This is, speaking of – so we're kind of there naturally. The reason we jumped into Extreme Measures is because we wanted to think about how Vince created the character. That's obviously not the first – time we see Hurley in chronological order of his life because Extreme Measures is taking place, you know, way later on after Rap is trained. So let's um let's let's keep going on this arc of like Stan as a character being created by Vince, but then let's also kind of harken back to that trivia game and look at Stan's chronological life, like him as a character living and growing up. Right. But the second book he appears in. So what else does he do in Extreme Measures? He's kind of he's in the hospital, uh, hitting on the nurses. Nash comes to see him. I I think that's all we get in Extreme Measures. It's just like that little hint, that drop of this old sage man. Yeah, he might he might like come out of the hospital one other chapter, or he might not. I I forget. Um, when I when I did the the Kindle search, the only thing that came up was like those two chapters with the hospital so right and then pursuit of honor though which i'm really glad he's brought back because you know vince could have just had this one scene he's got a lot of characters that we kind of don't see again um i didn't want stan to be that and obviously being someone who read american assassin i knew stan was much more than that so i was so friggin excited when we we read him in extreme measures 
I'm glad he kept him in pursuit of honor. And pursuit of honor, you know, we, we I kind of shit on it as a book. It's, it's actually, I'm 99% sure it's going to be bottom of the barrel at the end of this whole it's Mitch Rapp pod definitely project. Definitely Vince's worst book. Yeah. And I would say maybe between Kyle and Vince, maybe it's still bottom to be determined. Uh, but what's cool about what Pursuit would you of put Honor, Kyle's below? Uh, you're a you're a total power hater, so it, it's it's worse than total power. Pursuit of Honor, yeah, I think so. I think so. There's that other one. A lot of people didn't like Red War. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I I, I can't think of a worse book. I mean, maybe Enemy of the State, but I'll have to revisit that because I don't remember it so well. Enemy of the State, the one that just oh no, I no see, Enemy of the State. Yeah, enemy, the name. <laughs> They're yeah. too close. Yeah. That was Stephen Hendricks' well, well, thing. When we interviewed him, he's like, there's two names, enemy of the blank. Like, it's not going to work. I, uh, well, we'll get into that in, in the next month or so. But, um, oh. yeah, no, he come he comes back for the a couple scenes at, the, I think, mo- Lake most Anna. of the time in the book, he's all at Lake Anna. Like, yeah. all the times we see him, it's either in the beginning or later on when Mitch, like, brings back um another you know person or has to go back and deal with uh this glenn adams glenn adams right right. but that's so for not liking the book and i think this was my original thought for not really liking it it's doing a lot in the sense of vince is now playing with this lake anna safe house and even says hurley is living there and built out this underground bunker because the underground bunker and this holding cell was not there in american assassin and also, Vince starts hinting at Rap's training. So if Extreme Measures, he creates Hurley, but he's really only engaging with Nash. Pursuit of Honor's pretty important in that we're reading now that Hurley was also Rap's mentor. And we get a hint at his recruitment and training. So I think Pursuit of Honor was, again, an important part of this playground where Vince is dropping seeds and getting ready to write his tome, if you will, you know, American Assassin next. Do you think he... We know he knew American Assassin, but do you think he purposely put this in Pursuit of Honor wanting to get there, or Pursuit of Honor was still him figuring it out? Hmm. Yeah, I don't... Uh, it could be. I mean, like, why else drop these in the, in the two previous books, these two, like, nuggets, and then, boom, you follow up with it? I don't know. I think he's... The whole time he's he's building up... You know, honestly, he could have written American Assassin whenever... True. And it's like, is he always, has has he been writing American Assassin since Transfer of Power? Transfer of Power. You know, mm-hmm. on the side, you know, like coming back to it, coming back to it. I wonder. And then building up, building up, building up. And then finally, like after Pursuit of Honor, he's like, all right, I'm ready to do it. You know, because you could have easily, right after Pursuit of Honor, just gone to the last man, you know, gone to Mitch you know, and gone to the survivor yeah. right, exactly you know you, 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 then then drop American Assassin later like American Assassin can come with that can come whenever and to me it feels like it felt like a good point you know Pursuit of Honor is is one of the stories that there's no you know it's it's a conclusive story right every sort of plot hole is is tied up right so it was a good time to do it and I I feel like, you know, we've gotten all these little snippets of Rap's past throughout the series. 
he's been so I, I think he's thinking about it. he's conscious of it I mean, we know he doesn't have he doesn't like notes but you know i feel like he may, maybe right. he's writing this story on the side and then that's why as he's writing that story he oh i have these facts yeah let me introduce this character and then oh let me put him let me put him at the farm you know or yeah at lake anna you know Make this safe house right exactly the the only thing i would say is knowing what and of course we're not insiders in any way but knowing what we've at least learned and heard so far Vince would just sit down and write a book and that was that he's writing that book right. like he was that pantser as we say was writing and flying by the seat of his pants so I don't know if he actually was writing down notes or he might have been thinking about it but more mentally and less mm. of outlining because um, knowing that was not exactly his shtick but it, your connection back to transfer power I remember reading the scene about Rap's father, and he had a heart attack very young. They were kind of disconnected. Rap really had to take care of his own and take care of Steven on the baseball field. I, lo- you know, I still love that scene where he throws the mitt scene. down, and you know that's in Transfer uh, Pursuit of Honor, right? I thought it was Transfer of Power. I thought we would get that off the bat. No, I don't know. Sorry, I, I thought we got that in a scene when he goes back to like a baseball field when he meets with Scott in like some. You know, it's important. Maybe it's because... fleshed out. Maybe, maybe it's fleshed out later on. No, so... um, it's important because that's my exact point, which is when was Vince creating the backstory on Rap's father? Was that a setup to say he needed a father figure, if you will? Which Stan is not in in, in many ways a, a proper father figure at all. He's teaching him to kill men and, and you know whatever, and he hates his guts and he actually wants to kill him in kill shot. Like he Stan <laughs> wants to kill Mitch, so he's not a father figure. I'm not saying that, but by giving us the backstory that Rap didn't have that male influence and he had to be the alpha male and take care of his brother and become a father essentially to Stephen, who was not disabled but who you know was slow to, had slow development physically. Was maybe Vince like trying to toy with this idea of who then got Mitch where he was mm. if he didn't have that figure? So he wanted to write his father into it, dying early, to say someone else is going to fill that void in a few books. Yeah, I would. That's another. I would love to know. You know, did he was this story fleshed out from the beginning, or is it just an amalgamation of as I'm going, I have to sort of. Revert back. You know, that was interesting. We just recently talked to Kyle um, about Enemy at the Gates. And in discussing, like, these books as standalone novels versus this giant creation, you know, I just think about, like, another novelist like George R.R. Martin, Mm -hmm. who, like, you could think the reason that this book hasn't come out is because everything in this book relies on the thousands of pages in the previous book. And you almost need to hire like historians right. <laughs> for your, for your like made up world <laughs> to yep. fact check you yep. when you're making notes. Right. And you know, people like Kyle and Vince don't have that. Yeah. And you know, so you have to stick to like these, you know, I guess, I, I guess they had tried to be as consistent as, as possible. Um, especially with the big things. I'm, I'm sure there's someone that, that is checking this. But yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. 
Yeah, well, Ryan Steck was doing that for a good long while. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm sure Ryan is is the fact checker. You know? He's like, the fact oh, no, checker, right? You didn't do that. Like he, you know, Vince does this. So, yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, Stan's from Kentucky. You can't say he was born and raised in so and so. Right. Um, right. I found it though. The Stephen Rapp baseball diamond scene is consent to kill. Believe it or not, consent to kill. Okay. And, that's what makes that book really strong is we get little stories like that about rap because that book really advances very yeah, much yeah. rap's character. And so, yeah, that's when that's that why it's so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, well, what's next for Stan Hurley? He, he's the man of the hour. I, th- I think now, right, we get to his actual beginnings in American Assassin. Right, is American Assassin where we really find out who he is and where he's from and whatnot? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we meet him for the first time on the farm. Mitch is brought in, and they get into this. Let's go. Let's go. Let's fight. (laughs) Oh, here's here's a good tidbit though. When the car first pulls up. Irene gets out to talk to Stan. Zan right, Rapp comes out and challenges him. He says, I'll meet you in the barn in like 60 seconds. Get your ass ready. He turns around. He pisses in the bushes. <laughs> That's my man. Wait, I think he man. puts his bottle, whether it was beer or bourbon or scotch, I think he puts it on the steps, and then he takes a piss right there in the bushes. <laughs> I, you, just, you had to end the chapter with that detail. You know, it's like, it's so fitting. To squeeze that in. It's, that's Stan. That's Stan for you. He could have been like, yo, we'll go fight in the barn. Go get ready. And then it ends with him like yelling at him. Hurry up. Hustle. Hustle. This is so much better. Yeah. Now, I wondered, I guess this is a good, maybe a good time to bring up the, I think even during that scene where Irene goes out and talks to Stan, she calls him like Uncle Stan or. Uncle or, Stan. Yep. And just the relationship that they had. I don't know. It's. You know, just his uncleness, and I think that he, especially because he was with her father in Beirut, right? And he, fe- I, I'm sure he feels somewhat a bit guilty for not being there when his father passed away, and and you know, I guess survivor's remorse, right? Right. And so he made it his life's mission to look out for this girl, yep, and make sure that she was okay. And, you know, it's just, it's very sweet. You know, it's, it shows like a, a soft side of Stan that he actually does have a heart. <laughs> and I don't know. I just, I, I really enjoy their, their relationship together. Uh, yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. And we've talked about it ad nauseum, but just her calling him uncle Stan starts a story, you know, like that little glimpse of their relationship you could write three or four books about Irene's childhood and her father and exactly. what role Hurley played in it and Stansfield and go back to the seventies and, and the eighties in Beirut. And there's a whole story there. And it's literally from one quick scene where Irene says he's like an uncle to me, you know, and just right. there's so much depth there. How many thriller novels have that level of depth between the characters, even a series that's up to five books, up to eight books. Very few have passed 10 or 15 books. Even the ones that have, I feel like you don't have as complex a familial and relationship background 
as Irene and Stan, or Stan and Mitch, the, the friend and her and um, Stansfield and Stansfield and Hurley and Stansfield and Irene because because he was there in the whole crew of right. Irene's right. father and Hurley. Just it's such a web, and the fact that Vin, uh, Vince didn't write with notes and didn't keep records and, and like. What was going on in his mind to be able to create this universe that way, just on the fly? Like it's impressive. I think it just shows good writing and right. good, you know, story editing and and story creation and right. world creation because it makes you care about the characters. You you care so much about the characters that you we yearn. Right. We yearn like I yearn for uh, Stan Hurley and Thomas Stansfield prequel you know like right. when they're buddies in the past or you know you could do a whole you could do a whole book about like the bombing in beirut and like right. everything around that um i don't know it just it just goes to show you that the details put on these minor things are sometimes you know better than the actual plot. <laughs> like not better but like just lead to more thought than the actual plot of the story right right I, and there's there's so much you can unpack there because right in American assassin getting the background Hurley sitting there drinking maker's mark and, and Vince drops this line quote, he darted around Europe in the late fifties and early sixties and then Southeast Asia in the mid sixties and the seventies brought him to South America. And then finally for his biggest shit show of all, he landed in the middle East. Like there's a line that that creates so much wanting and desire in me to okay we didn't hear about stan for all of the 70s in south america like what disco clubs was he hitting up you know uh you know what kind of like what was he doing what was he doing you know and then southeast asia we know what he was doing we know what he was doing in southeast asia (laughs) they don't they show up to his funeral (laughs) every time Something is mentioned about Stan and a uh, female companion. It's always like, oh, he loves the Southeast Asian hookers. Like, how many times does that come up in the books? Over under five? More than five. Oh, and the 50s and 60s, he was in his 20s. So he was in his prime then. Mm. In his prime. So he only got to the Middle East as a uh, when he was older. Must have been the late 70s, or early 80s, according to this quote. So not right. older, but, you know, at least seasoned. Yeah, and to me, he's just like, you know, unlike Mitch, who is more like a, a blend in, he's, he's the kind of guy that can blend into the area and, right. you know, be this spy, spy. What, what was, um, what, what was Stan's Sherman? Like, uh, oh, that yeah. was his, uh, to, his alias, his alias, you know, he, he comes in as this like America. I feel like he, he wouldn't, mm-hmm. he wouldn't try to pass as a as a native, you know, he's, he comes in as an American or right. as, you know, a European, whatever. Um, I don't know. He I just was, love that persona of him. Yeah. He, I think he was less that like, I forget the difference between clandestine and covert, but one is like, you don't want anybody to know you're there. That's the difference, right? Clandestine and covert where one, you actually, it's okay. People are going to know you're there, but you're still doing things behind the scenes because he's not blending in. Stansfield tells us right away that Stansfield would be the one, you know, at the embassy running the show, more of the management and administration. But Hurley, on the other hand, would go into town. He would go into the rough parts 
And he'd want to be seen. He'd want to know the prostitutes. He'd want to know the barbacks. He'd want to get deals in the black market. And he couldn't do that blending in. Like, people would have known he was an American, but he was making relationships. Right. That would pay to come in and try to act like an American gangster who's in, who's doing dealings on the black market. Right. So he can have all these other black market friends, and get them to connections. Trust him. Exactly. He's not trying but to he's dupe actually... them. He's trying to get them to trust him. Yeah. Or yeah. turn them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He became Stansfield's indispensable man. And he then did. Stansfield says to him, quote, I'm going to turn you loose. I want them lying awake at night, worried they might be next. I want you to scare the shit out of them. That, so Stansfield yeah. is his handler, right? He's handling them, exactly. Yeah. And this, this, these quotes I've got are from, I think this was all still American Assassin, and it was Stan in his 30s in Budapest, 1956 so he was still in eastern europe in the 50s um no hurley was in his early 20s stan was in his 30s so excuse me stan's field was in his 30s right stan and stan's field throw me off and stan hurley was in his early 20s so he's still almost 10 years younger than stan's field when he was being run yeah to me i I think we we might have mentioned this on the stan's field pod but you've you feel like that the relationship is brotherly, like older brother, yeah, younger brother. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, that was a good insight you had. I remember that one. And and he saves his ass. So Hurley nearly died probably a zillion times. <laughs> but one of the closest Hurley was to death. Stans- it says here, nearly three decades ago, Hurley could still remember. His stupidity had almost cost him his life. If it hadn't been for Stansfield's magnanimous attitude, he would have died that day. Magnanimous I want attitude. That little, I want that little short story. <laughs> right, because it makes me think Stansfield didn't save him, like do something heroic and pull him out, but more covered for him. Exactly, yeah. And Stansfield covering for him either diplomatically or with an embassy or, you know, with his spy contacts extracted Hurley. And, you know, and that's typical Stansfield. And it's typical Hurley to get himself into shit like that. <laughs> exactly, right. You. Dude, speaking of the connectivity of, of these stories, I I didn't realize this, but Kyle put a small line in the so, – so in the Survivor, Kyle dropped a couple <laughs> of just strange shit. You remember I said the friends with Neil Armstrong thing? Yeah. That was Kyle. He literally – I know. He just no, dropped that's what it. it. In my head, I was like, wait, no, that that is a real thing. I, I just read that. Like, it, Yeah, like – what was going on in Kyle's mind to put that line in the book? I absolutely freaking love it. Like, I want to know that backstory. <laughs> I mean, you have a badass. Give him some badass friends. Yeah. Like, was Hurley eventually, like, long-term plan to, like, spy on astronauts and, like, get into, like, he saw the space race and the writing on the wall and knew it would be important to kind of turn? Like, or did he have to talk to Neil Armstrong about, like, Russian cosmonauts and interference. Like, did Hurley run him? Was it an op or was it just an honest friendship? Like, what what's going on there? I was just looking up to see if Neil Armstrong was from, from Kentucky, but no, I he's did from the Ohio. Same thing, but he's, he's from, from Ohio. Ohio. I did the exact same thing. I was like, did they go to high school together? Which makes me think, no, I think it was an op that he had to get to know him. Was So as astronauts, you have to be part of the military. Oh, uh, was what, was Armstrong what, Army? What branch was he in? I would imagine Air Force, but I don't know. Yeah, U.S. Air Force. 
Yeah, I think most of the astronaut guys had uh, are, jet, are the, jet um, in... what was it, like jet testing, testing out the new models of uh, jet planes. Oh, but he was a lieutenant in the United States Navy, too. So I guess when you go into the Air Force, NASA, you're in the Air Force. I don't know. I'm not an expert on yeah, no military idea. ranks. So. Yeah, no idea. Anyways, he was in the oh, Army. What I was going to say, though, is that Kyle's dropping these dimes. Kyle has this quote. And I was like, oh, I wonder when that happened. He said, about the time when Hurley passes, Kyle was like recounting things about his life. And he says, quote, over the years, Hurley'd been shot, stabbed, garroted, thrown from a ship 100 miles from shore and poisoned. The last by a cute little Czech woman he was screwing. No surprise there. Kind of funny, the Grim Reaper had ditched his Sith and snuck up behind him with a tobacco leaf. Just another limp dick in a robe. That's a that's a classic line right there. That, that that's a line. Just another limp dick in a robe. But what stood out to me, besides that gem, what stood out to me was the little Czech woman poisoning him, and him being thrown from a ship a hundred miles from shore. I was like, when do we get to see that? But earlier there was another boat accident. So so Hurley says a boat accident because an American assassin. There's a little quote that. There was something he was doing, and oh, he was chased by the Carabinieri, which is the Italian military police in Venice, and he had to jump into a putrid green canal. So, so he, he has a history of being being chased off of boats, chased or by or jumped boats. off boats. Exactly, you're right. Because Kyle put it, there was this old story in American Assassin. Like, I want to know that. Like, why is he getting chased in Venice and jumping into a canal? I love all these little. It's amazing. Interesting like filler background like the the backstory on these characters and are just amazing right <laughs> that i guess that that's what makes him so great like the fact he's so fleshed out right I, I, there's even a more recent one when stansfield pulls him out of the field because he was pissed at him about oh 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 after the beirut embassy bombing Right, because Early. we should mention he, right. he, the only reason he's alive is because right. he was with a fucking hooker. <laughs> <laughs> but then he kind of feels bad about it, and that may or may not have been Irene's father in the blast. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, um, no, it was. That's why. or at least one terrorist attack. But I think it was that one. Yeah, yeah. Hurley makes up for it by going rogue and just starting to kill people all over the city. He's just doing these gruesome murders, and no one can figure it out. But Stansfield has his number. It has the mark of a Hurley kill. Mm. So he calls him out of the field and sends him to Peshawar to equip the Mujahideen in the Afghan border conflict. It must have been earlier days, you know, post-Russia. Uh, or actually maybe even before Russia. Actually before, before Russia. Russia. Um, so Hurley was one of the dudes on the ground. So he gets his ass in, in, in hot water with Stansfield in the mid-late 80s. And so he sent to Pakistan and Afghanistan to start selling... The same weapons the Taliban now have to the Mujahideen. Like, just <laughs> Hurley was involved in all this crazy shit. And everything. And I everything. love it. Like, it's insane. How? Oh. And he would have been involved in the hunt for Osama bin Laden had he been a part of our world. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. You can just keep it going. All right. It, it makes me think, like, you know those big, like, super biographies of people that are, like, 600 pages long? Yeah. Like, written by, like, um, Isaac, whatever his name is, or um, 
who's it, Ron Chernow, who did the Hamilton yeah. one. I feel like yeah. there could be one on Hurley, you know, like 30, no. 50 years from now. Just how he shaped 20th century American history. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, well, essentially, like, Vince has put him at every single mainstay that the CIA has been involved with over the right. course of history. Like, Hurley has been there, right. which is awesome to think that, like, maybe there is someone who has been at every single pivotal moment in the CIA's right. history from the 1950s on, you know, to, Absolutely. to well, obviously now he's probably, that person would be very old, but no, that you're spot on. That's absolutely an analog for, for some, somebody or, or somebody, a handful of people out there. Right. Exactly. Wild. What comes next in, in Hurley's life? I mean, he's just, do do you want to touch on the fight in American Assassin? I, we kind of covered we, it all extensively in yeah. in our in our book pod, but I still that's that's an awesome fight. Like right, yeah. The cheap tricks that he does to win that fight that that's quintessential stand right there. But it teaches Mitch an important lesson because he went into this camp wondering how do I do I have to play by the rules? He tried playing by the rules. He noticed everyone else, including Victor, you know, and Stan breaking the rules. And that was finally when he had enough and said, fuck it. You guys are allowed to break the rules. I'm not. That's bullshit. And Doc Lewis had to tell him, like, actually, we want somebody who's going to bend the rules a little bit. And so it, it taught him an important lesson, having his nuts grabbed and losing the fight. <laughs> there are no rules. There won't be rules in what there we're trying to rules. get you to do. There, where we're going, there's no rules. Mm-hmm. Just don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> All right, so we next move on to kill shot, right? And you know, we get a decent amount of him in here, and he's he's almost like the uh, the villain in in in, in kill shot, right? I guess Fournier is like, and like uh, right that other guy, the the deputy director of the CIA, right? Uh, What's yep, his name? Yep, yep. Cook. who's working with Fournier? Yeah, like they're the bad guys, but yeah, Hurley's on this mission, like to kill Rap. Like they're still even even though. Rap saved his life. Yeah, he doesn't doesn't trust him. And I get maybe maybe it's because like he he's around Chet Bramble, right. uh, you know, and, and these two are are feeding off each other. But I don't know. That was a interesting moment. I, I guess ultimately he's turned and and uh, Irene like talks some sense into him. But I would have thought after after Mitch saved his life in Lebanon, he would have giving him a little bit more leash than, than that. Yeah, I think you're right. And it, it did rub me the wrong way when we covered Killshot. I remember being a bit sour on the book. And part of my reason was it was weird seeing Hurley as this, like you said, a villain, if you will, um, or at least leading the charge to kill Mitch. Looking back on it, it makes sense. Because Hurley, I mean, it fits his character. He's such an ungrateful bastard. He's mm. not going to turn all of a sudden and be a softie for Mitch because he ended up saving his life. I, he's still going to do what he thinks is operationally sound. And 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 being kind of an egomaniac, he doubles down and says, Mitch is starting to prove that he's really good. It would be very within Hurley's character to double down and say, I have to now get Victor to prove that he's better because Victor's my real trainee. Rap is, you know, a second piece. So it makes sense that Hurley would try to double down and get get things his way. 
I didn't like no, it though in the moment. I I didn't feel right about it in the moment. Yeah. No, the, you you mentioned it on on the Killshot Pod. There there's a few things that with that book that are I don't know. I mainly because there's a lot of loose ends and right. You know. So we don't get we don't ever get that third installation of this tying up some of these things. And one of those things is what what does Hurley do after this? You know, right? He right at the very end of Killshot, he's um, he allows Mitch to go in and 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 you know essentially kill Fournier and and the deputy director of the CIA, right? Yeah, he's in so the getaway what, car. He, he's in the getaway car, and so what? I want to know. I want to know those. Uh, right. some, what happens? Because the next time we see him, he's fucking old as shit. Exactly. Yeah. And he's definitely still operational in Killshot. He's in the field oh, yeah. driving the getaway car. He's planning the op with Rap. And that's the time. And that is when Hurley finally comes around. When he picks him up and they rib each other. I think he's like, I didn't think you were going to come, you know, old man. You can't drive very fast. Or he says some, like, quip Rap does to Hurley. And Hurley shoots a zinger back. So it's like they're finally bonding. And Hurley, by taking Rap on that op, is saying... You were right. You know, Victor was was the bad guy. Victor was corrupt. He he went off the loose end. You've proven your skills. Like there's there's some love forming there, and it's not until you know we just randomly go to the last man and Hurley's dying and Rap feels like hugging him and they kind of they don't bond but in a sense they start to bond in that Hurley says like I'm not going to tell anybody Mitch uh, tell anybody my secrets but I'll tell a few things to Mitch before I die like. How does that bonding process play out between Killshot and, well, I guess not Last Man, but um, Extreme Measures when he's in the hospital? Right. Yeah, because obviously the friendship that they've created is, it's definitely grown and they've done a lot of missions together right. in that time. So, And Killshot is where we see that Hurley taught him some very operationally important things like that shootout he has on the streets of... I think some European city, maybe Geneva, where Rap's like, I got to count bullets because Hurley taught me, you know, when the magazine's empty, how many bullets the guy's got left. Or if you're in a shootout, you can't win. Hide, cover yourself, count bullets, and then put distance between yourself and, you know, and the situation. Like all these in the field things. Well, I want to see more in a kill shot sequel of Hurley teaching Rap a lot of these operational things he doesn't have yet. Because rap is still a little green, being only a few right. months or even a year or two after his training. There's a lot after Killshot with Hurley having to still teach rap. So there, like how yeah, does rap get yeah. from Killshot rap to the third option rap? Because like, right, those are two books that we see a lot of these, you know, spycraft stuff, right? Uh, very um, born identity in yep. Jason Bourne esque. Whereas like Transfer of Power. You know, it's Mitch being this operator and shooter, you know, yeah. like uh, we don't really see him being a spy yet. But I want to know how Hurley, because obviously Hurley is a, is a master at this. How does Hurley give him that knowledge from the kill shot yep. all the way to the third option yeah. where he's, you know, sneaking the in the woods? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sneaking in the woods. Got a dog in order to like the distract. dog. Yes. Yeah, yes. Like, that's got to be something Stan taught him to do, or you know, just instinct like that. You're so right. So, 
And he puts those skills to – so Stan has to teach him, and then he puts it to use, and that causes a run-in with Aziz. Right. Rafik Aziz. Yeah. Hurley somehow had to be involved to train rap to the point where he would survive an encounter with Aziz and just walk away with that scar. I still want to know about scar. Yeah. A last thing about Killshot is the title of the book comes from Hurley because uh, the quote is one or two shots to the head and that's it. Lewis nodded. That's how Hurley trained him. Um, that's what Hurley calls the kill shot. Rap likes to get in close for the kill shot. Kill well, shot. that's at least what Hurley calls it. So kill shot. The name comes from Hurley teaching rap how to finish a dude off. Yeah. One other thing from Killshot, there's a line that Hurley already killed three of his own guys. And when he's contemplating terminating rap and actually considering sending Victor to terminate rap and give him the green light, it said Hurley's already had to do that to three of his own guys. So I think that's fitting in Hurley's character. Like Irene would need somebody like a Hurley willing to go to those lengths should an operator go rogue. True. So it's very fitting of Hurley's character. I guess that answered my question from earlier that he, even if Mitch did save his life, he would always be questioning. Right. Right. Yeah. Because Hurley's done it before. He's tried to kill three other people. He, he did kill three other people that he trained. Right. Yep. Well, that, that takes us to The Last Man, the last Vince Flynn written book with Hurley in it, and things have taken a turn for the worse. Stage four lung cancer. Yeah, and we we find this out, and it's not even by you know by Hurley himself. It's Mike Nash telling Mitch, right, or Scott Coleman telling uh, one of the two, right, yeah. when he's over in um, Afghanistan, right, mm-hmm. and Mitch has to deal with this, and, right. and you see, it's like one of these moments where. You see real emotion with Mitch, which you don't you don't see that often. Um, and he mentions that he, at one point, he hated you know he has a hate <laughs> hate hate relationship with with this man. But I do think in the end he he did love him. Yes, uh, I think in the end he did love him, even if he didn't want to admit it. But yeah, this this news in in the last man, it, it, Mike Nash informs him. Both uh, Scott and, and and rap and Mitch is uh, so taken aback by this news he even like you know lashes out at <laughs> at Nash right you know, he's like how the fuck do you think I'm supposed to take this news like you know right. he's like how are you doing Mitch like well how do you think I'm doing think I just I'm found out right. that a man who's I've known for you know is about to die and won't be here that much longer dude Nash is a fucking punching bag I'm sorry like. I know some people had some issues with some things. We're not going to get into that right now, but we will soon with Enemy at the Gates. Nash has always been a fucking punching bag. Mitch decks him twice. He He's getting bullshit from Mitch like that. Like, I get that's a normal encounter two friends would have. But like you, you, you'd usually apologize to the friend after. Like, if you snap on them, they ask how you're doing. Like, how the fuck do you think I'm doing? You usually say, like, sorry, man, that w- it wasn't cool. I know it wasn't you you were actually asking. Like, Mitch is never going to apologize to Nash for snapping like that. Irene never apologizes to him for sidelining him. 
I, I get, yeah, Nash is trying to be goody two-shoes like he has an office job, but he's really a fucking punching bag. Like, he's going to snap one day. So that's all. <laughs> that's all. That's all. Follow up more on that later. Talk to you in a few weeks. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I agree with you. He, he's, um, and I think he's put there for a reason to be this anti-Mitch, you know, like, yeah. Someone who has very similar attributes, but is, is different, you know, is the family man is, yeah. you know, takes the limelight. And even though he doesn't want it, he kind of thrives on it. Uh, yeah. when, when he, once he has it, um, you know, so, whereas Mitch wouldn't, would even if Mitch, sorry, even if Mitch, like someone else did that to Mitch, Mitch wouldn't go along with it. Mitch, right. Mitch would walk away. I was about to say, I'm so glad Nash and Mitch's relationship is like that, because sometimes, as much as I love the two broing out, Scott and Mitch could sometimes be a little one-dimensional in the depths oh, of yeah, their friendship. Oh, yeah, very much so. It's they're, just, they're very it's just the op. Right, it's just the op. Make a few jokes about the op. Cracks, you know, make some wisecracks about it. Do the job, finish it up, and then just say, what's next? And we'll plan the next op together. And I'll call you in when I need backup. And you'll just do that. I fucking love Scott Coleman, but he's much more a one-dimensional character than a Nash who kind of takes on that everyman role. And in a sense... Stan Hurley takes on the everyman role as well because he's the cranky old man. He's the really tough grandparent or uncle or old timer. He's the like Nash is the everyman in a in a younger family situation. Stan Hurley is the everyman in the sense of every family's got the old crotchety drinking a bottle of bourbon, smoking a cigar, you know, I went to school walking uphill both ways in the snow 15 miles. Like I'm glad they're playing more of a role than a Scott who is no one could really identify with on a personal level. I feel like Hurley and Nash, they allow average readers like you or I or older readers like grandparents to to identify with the characters. Where Scott and Mitch, you really can't all that much. Right. They'll right. just box you out. Anyway. Very true. I, I no, think I, that's I, it. Like, I agree with him. We we covered Last Man Survivor over the last few weeks. You guys can check out those pods. We've covered Hurley's actual death and funeral, where, where Louis Gould kills him, but from the grave, he gets the kill on Louis Gould, who dies a few minutes later, bleeding out in another room, his final kill, and the really nice um, but small funeral, you know, with the tie hookers and the um, and the priest, you know, regaling the, their war stories together. Do you do you think the priest was Deflory? Stansfield's I buddy? I, uh, I I I was thinking that, but he might just be another priest that that Stan knew. I think I feel so. like Stan would be the kind of guy that would get chummy with priests, you know? Like he'd he'd try to repent, go to go to church, and then immediately like go to the bar and be like fuck it, yeah. And get drunk, you know? And then see the priest at the bar and get drunk <laughs> right. with him, who you just tried to confess to and said and walked out on. Yeah, DeFleury <sighs> and the Stansfield thing with that guy Roly Smith. Uh, they're Hurley, a little bit older. They're a little older, and Hurley was not brought up in any of their wisecracks right. and kind of back and right. forth banter. So, yeah, Hurley was probably the the younger guy at those times when they were hanging out, and probably not privy to sit with them, and also didn't want to, because Stansfield was more 
kind of on the management side where Hurley was just running his black ops off to the side. He wouldn't have been in public laughing with Stansfield's friends and cracking a beer. Right. Yeah. Dude. Well done. That is Stan Hurley. Yeah. I think uh, just to say one more thing, I think like the, the culmination of both the events that happened in the last man and then his ultimate death in the survivor because, you know, very on, early on, you realize once they tell you that he's got six months to live, you're like, oh, shit, like, is he going to die in this book? Yeah. And then when he doesn't die, you're like, oh, shit, he's probably going to die Soon in this after. book. Yeah. And so you're just waiting for it. But I felt like I wasn't let down. Like, I, I, I felt like it was rewarded. And then giving him that main stage in, in both of these books, you know, he, he goes on an op, like one last op with Mitch, you know, and he's, he's, <laughs> he goes on one last op in both of these, uh, both of the last two books. You know, I just, I thought it was a, a true honor to put him there and to give him his final glory. And I think Vince and both Kyle did the character right. Yeah. I guess th- that makes me think of one last thing that, I think is, is is it has to be brought up of the last man Vince had his diagnosis already himself, right? And he knew Stan Hurley was an old man and aging and wasn't going to last much longer in the universe. And just the parallel of these two, God, it's crazy because one's fictional, uh, but they're both titans in their respective universes. Vince in the thriller author genre and the military community and what he did as a patriot. And what Hurley's doing in his universe as a patriot and in his role, they're both larger than life. And they're both facing a similar challenge, you know, in the form of cancer um, and dealing with end-of-life issues. And they both go out with a bang. Vince Flynn writes The Last Man, and Hurley goes down in an op as was so fitting. Uh, They each played, you know, they played their part in the orchestra. They, they, They sang their tune to the very end. And just and just stuck the landing. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. There's a musical and a gymnastics reference all in one about <laughs> end of life. Uh, that's stand the man, man. That's stand, stand the, the man. man. It's nothing else to say except to a full life. To a full life. To a full life. We're all dying. Some of us faster than others. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, that was our toast to Stan, the man Hurley. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Next week, we will be giving you a very, very special episode. Uh, We had the opportunity on Sunday to sit down with the man, the myth, the legend, Kyle Mills. uh, And talk to him in a spoiler, spoiler filled, not not free, spoiler filled pod. Let's go. About his latest book, which obviously you guys have all read, Enemy at the Gates. Mike, did you enjoy that conversation? I was over the moon. It was a complete yes, 180 yes. For our, from our first experience with Kyle. <laughs> but hold on. In the sense that for the listeners out oh, there major who don't tech know, we had major, was, was, we felt major like technology issues. We it wasn't were, even our fault. 
we got disc and the hype we brought into it. I was so hyped, like the adrenaline pumping. We're getting to talk to one of our favorite authors in the whole world. I've never talked to an author before. So pumped. We're still young, right, with the podcasting thing. We were only on episode, what, 20? Maybe something like 15, 20. It was really early. We got tech issues. The audio came out pretty bad. Every, what, two or three minutes, he got dropped. His connection went out. Well, and the pod had to be, like, cut short because, like, stuff, it, it, this it kept happening. It was just a process. Yeah, so. We lost the audio. Yeah, we, he cut out so much, we, we were losing audio. This one, solid. Rock solid, baby. Felt so good going into it. Calm, cool, and collected. So good walking out of it. And just Kyle is a man, when we meet up, I'm going to have some of that Tempranillo Spanish red wine that he was drinking with me, and we're just going to pound a couple bottles. I also just thought that... I'd love to hang with the The dude. difference between the first time we met him and, and this time was... I, I, it wasn't as... Obviously, I was nervous, you know, just because he's an author who's pretty famous, but I, I felt more like we... Since we know each other a little bit, we, we've talked... This is our third time talking. We were able to have a little bit more of a conversation. Um, right. So... Uh, anyways, we're this is way too long for <laughs> the uh, intro for the next week episode, but we hope you enjoy that. Uh, we have to thank our patrons, uh, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at MidtrapPod.com or on Twitter or Insta at MidtrapPod. And as always, just let Mitch... Be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Gorilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.